Somebody's attacking their groins. <laughs> it was all groin stuff. It's all groin stuff. It's like Casino Royale. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the only spectator who has ever been forcibly removed from the script spelling bee for belligerent heckling, my brother Mike. You know, if you can't take the heckling, don't join the bee, you know? <laughs> it's, it's in your a, day. In your day, the kids the, could take it. In my day, you had to be able to take a little uh, a little give and take while you were on stage performing in the bee, or you didn't you didn't hack it, you didn't move on to the next round. Well, okay. yeah, they might have had a problem with the drinking too. I don't know if they if they allow that sort of thing in the audience. Well, See, I, again, what am I saying? Most of the parents are half cocked when they're there. I'm sure that's right. Man. We're getting yeah. soft, man. <laughs> we are getting soft as a country. When you can't just belligerently yell at some eight or eight year olds, you know what? What kind of world uh, are we living in? I don't. Know. I thought this was free speech. Others was that free speech. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, anyway, on this week's episode of Royals Weekly, we'll cover what was an interesting week from the Royals. I'm going to call it interesting because I don't have a great term for it. Some ups, some downs, some all arounds. Uh, we're going to discuss some of the team's decision making in our spotlight segment, and we're going to preview the week ahead as we do a very crammed week of Royals games this week, which is kind of awesome. Mike, you ready to talk about the Royals? I'm going to do my best Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. You're damn right I am. We'll start our review of last week by going over roster news, as is tradition. Uh, the hardest part of the roster news was this, that the Royals placed Edward Olivares in the 10-day injured list. Uh, 10 days is generous. Right. So he's not actually only going to be out 10 days. He will likely be out six weeks with a right quad strain. Mike, last time, last week, we hoped it might just be a few days here or there going to be six weeks for his right quad strain and that's just i would say around a minimum those sorts of things linger a lot and you just never know and they don't want to you know hopefully they don't want to push him it's not like they have a reason to push him and so yeah it's tough to hear because he was so hot when he got hurt i was really hoping for a quick bounce back but it doesn't look like it's going to work out that way yeah they were finally giving him consistent playing time he's raking and pulls up with a quad injury brutal for him because he is an older guy to be making really his getting his first major league consistent major league playing time so hopefully when he gets back he's right where he was when he left off that's my hope yeah we can only cross our fingers and hope that he just hits the ground running when he does come back another move the royals made this week was a little more anticipated a little more expected at this point and that is that the royals optioned chris bubich to omaha like you get your wish here you wanted them to send bubich down Instead of keeping him in the bullpen, what do you think about this decision to send him down right now? What do you want him to work on while he's there? Well, while he's down there, he has to work on fastball command. That's the the thing for him. If he commands his fastball, he's actually a pretty good pitcher. Now, here's the tricky thing. One of the things that makes Chris Bubich Chris Bubich is that he's got a little bit of deception in his delivery. The question is, do the Royals think they need to change that delivery or the mechanics of that delivery a little bit to increase his fastball command? And if they do that, does that then take away that deception? We've mentioned on this podcast in the past that in the minors, he was a strikeout style pitcher, largely because he had a great changeup and minor league hitters aren't always great at hitting good changeups. But can he be that type of pitcher in major league baseball? I don't know. I think he needs fastball command over anything else. And if he ends up losing a little bit of deception, I'm okay with that. But I don't know if it's a mechanical thing or if it's something else that he needs to do. But fastball command, period, exclamation point, whatever you want to say, that's what Chris Bubich has to get better at. 
if he's going to be a rotation guy. He's going to be a long reliever or whatever else you want to make him, then okay, I get that. But I think it's wasted value if you end up having to put him in that role. Yeah, fastball command is it when you're talking about a guy who throws 91-93. You can't be the sort of, you know, wild man, sort of effectively wild kind of pitcher when you only throw 91 to 93. You can't, you're not going to blow guys away. You can't live in bad parts of the zone. You have to put it exactly where you want it to go. And even when he was the minor league strikeout king, he still walked way too many hitters back then. He still didn't have good command at that point. His changeup was dominant, and that deception really hurt younger hitters. As you get higher and higher, hitters aren't so fooled by the deception. Hitters aren't so fooled by the changeup. It's just everybody knows a lot more. Now, to Bubich's credit, he never got a full minor league experience. He never got to develop at probably the rate he should have, which was a little bit slower than what the Royals pushed him towards. After that 2019 season, he just went straight to the majors. He, he started pitching in the major leagues in 2020. And that was probably a mistake on the Royals' part. They probably should have let him take another year to develop, spend time at the higher levels, more time at the higher levels of minor leagues, where guys would have probably roughed him up a little bit more and he would have had to start to adjust more than he has and develop that command. Now he's getting a chance to go down to Omaha and try it out again. Still a young guy, could still make it as a starter probably. And maybe if not, I, I just have a, I, I never find it a big deal when a dude becomes a long reliever. Because in my mind, if, if teams were innovative enough, if a guy throws 100 innings out of the bullpen as a good long reliever, that's still real valuable. I don't really like distinguish but between... Teams, I don't get... I know. Teams don't do it well enough, but spot Exactly. The Royals are certainly not that type of program. So Well, they won uh, a World Series in a year when Chris Young filled this, this role very effectively, where he was like coming out of the bullpen throwing four innings some games, and occasionally he'd start here and there. You know, it was one of those sorts of things. If, he, if, if Chris Bubich can become that, where you're giving 100 actual good innings and not, you know, a, what a starter would give is like 170, I guess, really bad innings from him, then that's fine. Go ahead and do that. But either way, you're right. Fastball command is the thing he has to come out of Omaha ready to do. This is kind of on a tangent here. But one time I heard uh, Rainy Gilizarily, uh I don't know what you would say, he proposed a four-man rotation where you never let any of those starting pitchers see a lineup a third time through and you lean heavy on longer relief kind of guys to take on that third time through the order. And he's like, you know, I think a team like the Royals or any, really any team that's a smaller market team could do this because then you're looking, you're looking for one less starter and you can kind of lean into some of those cheaper bullpen arms. Well, yeah, I don't um, know why. And I, and I always, when he, when he did that, I was like, holy crap, that sounds brilliant to me. But I don't, nobody wants, nobody's willing to try that sort of stuff. Well, you know? I, this is the thing. I don't know why all teams don't look to do something like this where you're developing multiple relievers as multi-inning guys. And I know that some guys can't do that, but that's what you should be doing. You should be any guy who can go three or four innings out of a bullpen. You should be developing to go three or four innings out of a bullpen. You should be trying to build your roster so that you have three, four guys in your bullpen who can go three or four innings. And then imagine what you could do with your starters. They would never have to go a third time through the, rota- through the order. You could have bullpen games where you're competitive and, and doesn't burn your whole bullpen out. You could have guys get, you could pull guys quicker. You'd be, you'd be a lot easier to pull guys in the third inning when they look like they just didn't have it that day and give it to a guy who can go the next three innings because you're not going to burn your bullpen. I would be, if I were a, 
a team builder, I guess, a GM and a manager, I would be much more inclined to start building a roster that has multiple inning relievers on it. That's that's to me, what's what's the market inefficiency of baseball right now? Multi-inning relievers. Because they're so valuable, they could be so valuable for you if you constructed your bullpen with more of them in my mind. The other significant roster move for this week was that the Royals activated Carlos Santana from the injured list. He is now back in the lineup almost daily. I'm assuming to sort of build his trade value. Not really sure why he's there, but again, he is now getting regular playing time with the Royals. Glad he's healthy again. Not so glad that they continue to put him in the starting lineup every single day. The Royals were three and four this week, which brings their overall record to 12 and 20. A big, exciting win today. That was nice to see. The Royals took a big lead, lost that lead all in one inning, and then came back and won by one run. Incredible. It really changes the perception of the whole week. Even though oh, they yeah. went three and four, well, it still feels like an okay week at the end of the week because they got this big win and they won a series. Ended the week on a high note, winning the series in Colorado. Yeah, but you and I both said this was the kind of week where you have to win the week because you're going against Baltimore to start the week, then te- with one game. Texas for a series, which you lose to the Texas Rangers. You lose a series to them and then the Rockies. So that those are pretty, those are some of the lighter people you're going to have on your schedule. You got to win that week because this week looks a lot tougher coming up. Yeah, it was, it's not great that they didn't win the week, but they do end the week looking better than they started it. Cause they looked bad against Baltimore. They looked pretty bad during that Texas series. Although you can start to see some sparks here and there in the offense. And then they looked better in this Colorado series. It's weird because now it looks like her, maybe Hernandez has made his last start. We know that Bubich has made his last start for a while. And you get the sense that Heasley and then maybe Brady Singer is going to come into the rotation. And the rotation is going to look a little different. Salvador Perez has started to hit. Whit Merrifield has started to hit. Bobby Witt Jr. has started to hit. Things are starting to turn a little bit. The question is, will that amount to more wins? Or are other people going to start regressing? Is Andrew Benintendi going to go into a funk? You know, it's just a hard question to answer as we look forward. But we know that some people have started to turn it around. Mike, you're going to tell us about the guy we, who's really turned it around lately. Yeah, Whit Merrifield has had a really good week. And you and I and a lot of other Royals fans were quite miffed. I don't know if that's the word. <laughs> I love that word. I love the word miffed because it also sounds like a sound that you make when you get punched in the stomach. Like, miffed. <laughs> Um, but he he'd been struggling so much and you have to always wonder if it's age decline because the last couple seasons have been slightly down as we he's progressed and they never give him a day off so it's quite apparent like it's in your face all the time that he's struggling and he's struggling because he does the same things he always does he doesn't really take walks he doesn't really hit the ball all that hard he's kind of a placement hitter that relies heavily on line drives well, this week he was able to get those things. And in the thin air of course field, he got two home runs too. So hmm. 10 for 31, pretty good. Two home runs, seven RBIs, nine runs. Guess what though? Whit Merrifield had a great week, still did not have a walk. So he, you know, he just, he, when you pick out a, what's a leadoff hitter in the modern landscape of major league baseball, Whit Merrifield doesn't even really fit that mold. No, he's really at all. not. He, he doesn't a see a lot of pitches. Leadoff. He doesn't have what you would call what a lot of, teams would call really good at bats all the time, but he seemed, everybody thought, well, he's a great leadoff hitter because he just amassed these huge numbers of hits over, you know, the course of several, uh, you know, a handful of good years, but hopefully he can continue progress that offense uh, higher or better than what he was these last few weeks, because they were really bad. 
But if you can continue with this week and build on this week, then you can get some more value out of Whit Merrifield in his age. What is it? 32 or 33 season. The hot streak needs to continue. He is obviously getting, we, everybody knew that he would regress to the mean a little bit. Yeah. You know, he, some, some of it was it, just bad luck stuff. Yeah. yeah. And what's, what's weird is if you listen to the broadcast, they'll say it was all bad luck. It was not all bad luck, right? <laughs> he is not hitting enough line drives. He is swinging at pitches. He shouldn't. And that sort of stuff. It's not all bad luck for Whit Merrifield, but there was some bad luck in there. And you can see that some of that's starting to turn. He's had a couple blue pits this week. That's really helped. And playing in Coors Field helps because now those fly balls that maybe aren't leaving Kaufman are leaving Coors Field. And so that's nice. He's still hitting too many fly balls. He needs to lay off pitches in the upper third. He needs to hit more line drives. But he can keep if he can keep this hot streak going, maybe the Royals offense starts to look a little bit more productive as everybody sort of starts to turn it around things get hot. I'm going to talk about a guy who has looked pretty productive since he came up, basically. That's Emmanuel Rivera. I just really love the way that he has played ever since coming up from AAA. He is was hot in AAA, came up here. I think today he came in with a pretty low batting average, but that was in a real small sample size. He hasn't gotten to play that much since he came up, but he went four for 14 this week with a double, a triple, a home run, two walks, and two strikeouts. The thing I love most about that line, two walks, two strikeouts. He's not out here swinging for the fences. He's not out there flailing at the plate trying to hit everything. He's just taking walks when he can, a couple of strikeouts. Okay, that's fine. But he's also putting the ball in gaps quite a bit. He's also hitting the ball out of the ballpark a little bit. You know, he just and playing a solid third base like we knew he would. He's, he just seems like a really solid ball player that you want on your team. And I'm glad he's getting some playing time. I kind of wish that we saw some other players like this getting some more playing time, but we'll talk about that in the future. But great job for Emmanuel Rivera. I'm, I'm happy to see it working for him right now after he got that hamate bone injury last year. It kind of stunted his debut. I'm really glad to see him pick it up right again this year in AAA and then do well so far in the major leagues. Yeah, he seems like a really uh, easy guy to root for. He's from Puerto Rico. As you know, I have a love affair with Puerto Rico. Um, and yeah, he just he, he takes he takes pretty good at bats. And he, he plays an above average, if not good, third base. You can't go wrong there. A guy like this should be in Major League Baseball for a long stretch. Yeah, it would not surprise me if he is a two to four war player for a, a number of seasons in Major League Baseball if he gets everyday playing time. I don't know that he will for the Royals. That's the hard part. I don't know if he's exceptional exceptional enough that any team's going to ever want him to be their everyday third baseman. And his position versatility isn't all that much. I'm right. sure he, he can play, play first. He does play first sometimes in, in here, has in the minors. Um, and so he can do that, but I, I don't know any team that's going to be like, we want you to play every single day for us. But I mean, you keep hitting like this. Some team's going to want you to, you keep hitting the way that he hit this week. Some team is going to want him to play every day, but if nothing else, he could be a great bench piece for the Royals much better than guys like, mm, I don't know, Ryan O'Hearn or something like that. Just, just throwing a, a random name out there. Throwing names out there. We did see some struggling this week, as you know, you are bound to see on a Royals team. Mike, tell us who did not play great in your eyes this week. Nicky Lopez struggled, and they mentioned this on the broadcast today. He's three for 26 this week, no walks and four strikeouts. And I was looking, trying to like dig through the numbers and see if there was something else I could find there. There really wasn't any other part to that story. No walks in a week for Nicky Lopez is never going to be a good thing because he has to be able to get on base, not just through slashing the ball and things like that. He's got to be able to, to walk pretty much. Still plays solid defense, obviously, but I think I don't think any of us expected Nicky Lopez this year to do what he did last year, bat 300, 
look like the best offensive player on the team, maybe outside Salvador Perez, but he's got to be able to do a little bit more. Now he got off to a slow start last year. So hopefully this is just a slow start and he goes back to doing what he was doing in the middle and later part of last year. But yeah, rough, rough week at course field for him. And course field may not be the best kind of place for a guy like Nicky Lopez. Anyway, Kaufman, I think fits his game a lot, a lot more. Well, yeah, the question is, was always, you know, what's he going to look like? Because we know he's not going to look as bad as he did the first couple of years he played. And we know he's probably not going to look like what he did last year because there's just a lot of good fortune victim there. It's something like a 347 uh, bat bat batting average on balls in play last year. That's not going to stay the case forever. And so you wondered what it might look like. I hope he does sort of equalize in there somewhere because it, right now his numbers are like in the toilet. And you can't be that bad of a hitter and get to play. Like the thing about Nicky Lopez, and I was thinking about this earlier today, is his offensive production was always going to walk on a razor's edge. You know, because he doesn't walk as much as he should probably. And he, it's not that he never walks. Like last year he had a pretty decent walk rate. But he, he needs to walk more if he's going to have more cushion in terms of his offensive production. But because he doesn't, he really is just living and dying by the number of line drives he can hit. Right. And if he can't hit enough of them, he's in big trouble right now. He's not hitting enough of them right now. Pitchers are trying to live up in the zone. So he's hitting the ball up in the air. You, you can't do that. If you're Nicky Lopez, if you're Whitmerryfield, you always walk on a razor's edge offensively or in terms of offensive production. I hope Nicky can find that again, can find that line drive plane again because he needs it. But what he really needs to do is work more counts, walk more and hit more line drives. Maybe then he'll have a chance got to be all opposite field it's really that's his game and right now he's not playing it. he's pulling the ball too much he's hitting the ball in the air way too much maybe if he got a chance to face this next guy he could get himself right a little bit the guy i'm going to talk about is uh carlos hernandez he had a rough week he he, he started two games this week pitched eight and two-thirds innings gave up 15 hits and 15 earned runs in those eight and two yikes 15 on five walks and only five strikeouts in those 18 innings that are in those 8.2 innings. That is bad. And so a lot of people are asking questions. Is Hernandez going to get to stay in this rotation? I doubt he is. I think he's probably not going to make his next start. I think Singer is probably going to make it. I think, I think Hernandez looks like a reliever to me. Uh, last year he had a whole bunch of success, but we're it's, it's well documented that this year numbers against his four-seam fastball are way up. People are crushing his four-seam fastball. Why? because it's down about two miles an hour in velocity. I don't think he is cut out for the rotation. I think he's cut out for the bullpen where he can unleash that fastball. Maybe he's one of those guys like we were talking about where he can be a multi-inning reliever, and that would be great if he could do that well. But you can't have the kind of strikeout and walk numbers that he has and be a successful major, major leaguer. You can't be Apparently, he can't be a type of pitcher who can't get swings and misses with his fastball because he just doesn't command well enough to really – thrive if he's not being a dominant fastball pitcher. Yeah. And you and I have talked, especially with Jackson Kowar about how high velocity doesn't necessarily always mean effective fastball. He's the kind of guy that relies so heavily on that fastball being high velocity though. That's the only way for him. It can be effective is if he's throwing it 98 and 99 miles an hour, because like you said, command is really bad. There's zero deception to his fastball there his delivery at all. He doesn't get a whole lot of extension. So it plays a little less fast than it is. And so, yeah, 
I'm not against him still trying to be in the rotation, but he needs to develop. And he's another guy, just like we were talking about with Chris Bubich, who did not play in the higher level of the minors. He was skipped up very quickly and meant to be developed at the major league level. Well, then, of course, what do they do? They bounce him back and forth between the bullpen and the starting rotation, and he never has really a role in either one. And Fun fact, the Royals cannot develop anyone at the major league it's level. It's poor they development. Are, they have the worst <laughs> coaching staff in history at the major league level, and they're just not even they don't even try to develop players. That's not their game. You can tell by how the way that what they're doing with Kyle Isbell. They don't care if he's developing. That that's just not even they're trying to win. They're bad at trying to win, but that's what they're doing. And so they're not developing anybody. They're literally just having them play. And then they think in their mind, this will help them develop. It won't. Just having them play won't help them develop. It's like a teacher. Who's like, I'm going to teach them history. And they're just going to sit there. Then they learn about it. They're going to sit <laughs> there and the experience test. history. And That's then they're right. going to know it. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like doing nothing is not teaching someone to do something better. Yeah. And then that's really sad because, you know, I'm a Carlos Hernandez guy. I like a guy that has high velocity fastball and two to three average or above average secondary offerings. And Carlos Hernandez has that. I've said this in the past. Good organizations get always get something out of a guy like Carlos Hernandez. If that means it's from the bullpen, okay, fine. But I don't think you go to that route until you're absolutely certain he cannot be a rotation piece. Well, yeah, I think if if where if he needs to develop more, then he needs to go to AAA. That's where development yeah, happens. I, that, guys I to AAA, that is where the development will take place. I've never liked the idea of developing guys in the majors. The Royals seem to love it, even though they're garbage at it. That's what I find hilarious when they're like, he really needs to, they said the same thing about Adalberto Montesi. He's too good for the minor leagues, really needs to develop at the major league level. Comes to the major league level, does not develop at all. That is the same Doesn't story it, with never a changes. lot of their players. That was Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Carlos. We're just talking about all these different players who come to the major leagues and never get any better once they're Honestly, here, here's the one guy I will give them that has actually done that, and that's Salvador Perez. Salvador Perez yeah. was definitely not a finished product when he showed yes. up and started playing every day in Major League Baseball, and he has developed as a hitter but in that time period. With? He developed with Mike Tozar and then those guys down in Florida who we would go see in the off season, who the Royals then made a part of their sort of development system. It's like they, they saw Salvador Perez developing and they were like, okay, we need to, you know, get on board with some of that, that crew. And it's like, that's true. You do, but you also need to realize that the people you have at the major league level who are in charge of your development or who are in charge of players. And I guess at the major league level, either you need to decide one, we're not developing guys at the major leagues, which is fine. I don't think they should be developed at the major league level. I think that they it'd be nice if guys got better once they got to the major leagues. And sometimes they're all they're going to. I mean, look at Bobby Wood Jr. As they get more comfortable, yes, they'll get better. But start focusing on development in the minor leagues and we won't have to worry about all this. Like actual development, not just, oh, this guy had success and so we're bringing him up. No, no, no. Does he do what's going to make him successful at the next level? That's what's important. They just don't seem to understand that there is a disconnect between what makes you successful at the minor league level and what's going to make you successful at the major league level. Those are different things. They do not seem to understand that. And despite that, I'm actually still a little bit encouraged by what I'm seeing on the field right now for the Royals. So my theme for this week is you can see the talent through the trees, right? What's the trees? The trees is all the other stuff. The bad decision-making we see from the front office, the, the playing Ryan O'Hearn constantly and sitting Kyle Isbell constantly. These things that annoy Royals fans because they are sort of 
not what the Royals fans want and not what we think is in the best interest of the team or of the players that need to be developing, you can still see the talent shining through in some ways. MJ Melendez has done some good things at the major league level. He caught a great game today. He threw a guy out. He threw a guy out yesterday. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. hit a second home run in two days today, took two walks today. That was incredible to see. You know, Daniel Lynch went out and threw another really good start today. And so you can, you can see the talent through the trees. I'm getting excited about what some of these young guys are doing. I know we're 30-some games into the season at this point, but it is good to see that it's there at least. I wish it would have been there day one, but it's better that it's showing up now than it never showed up at all. Yeah, and mine is kind of a more of a focus on yours is kind of the optimism of the future. Mine is the here's what the Royals are now, and my theme is a puncher's chance. So in boxing, there are certain boxers that aren't really all that good, but they can knock somebody out with one punch. And so they call them, say, you've got a puncher's chance. Maybe you could catch somebody, you know, falling asleep or whatever you catch them doing. And think I seem you, you happen. Think I seem right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Think I seem Rockman against Lennox Lewis back in the day. Um, but that's really what the Royals are now. And you can see it from time to time. Like they scored 14 runs the other day. I don't care if it's course field or not. Did anybody see this Royals team scoring 14 runs? No, you can see them that, okay, they have the opportunity from time to time where they will throw a haymaker and connect, but nobody expects a guy like that in boxing to win consistently. And that's really what the Royals are, right? You don't expect them to win consistently, but every once in a while, they're going to put together a game where you're like, man, that was really good. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We're constantly posting new analysis and commentary on there, so check that out. There are so many things to focus on with a struggling team like the Royals. So instead of focusing the spotlight segment on a particular topic, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to look intently at some of the decisions the Royals have made and provide our assessment of those decisions in a love it or leave it frame. Sort of, do we love that decision or do we leave that decision? Do we think it's not any good, right? We'll start with the decision the Royals actually have yet to make, but may make soon. Carlos Hernandez in the rotation. Mike, do you love Carlos Hernandez in the rotation or would you leave it out? Would you leave him, leave him out of that rotation at this point? I love it. I love him in the rotation, but maybe not in the major league rotation right now. We talked a little bit earlier about how he probably needs a little bit more development and never really had an opportunity to work at the higher minor leagues. So I would send him down and I wouldn't be in a rush to bring him back up. There is no saving. It is not likely you are to make the playoffs this year. So send him down there and say, we want to see real progress with how you command your secondary pitches, how you command your fastball. How are you going to use your fastball if it isn't going 98 or 99? Is there a way for us to teach you to be more effective with your command or maybe focusing in on the breaking stuff that these seem to have leaned so heavy on if they're saying, hey, don't throw your change up? Or maybe you say, hey, good down there, work on that changeup, because if you have four pitches, you're going to be more effective than you're going to be more effective if your fastball isn't what it, what it was. So I like the idea of keeping him in the rotation, but moving him down to the minors. I understand there are going to be some people out there who think 
that he could be in the major league bullpen right now and help this team right now. I just don't know that they need him in the major league bullpen right now. So why bail on him as a starter? Yeah, actually, I was the way I was interpreting sort of this question was just in the major league rotation. And of course, in that sense, I'm leaving it. I don't want him in the major league rotation right now. That fastball just isn't what it was last year. He looks like a reliever in the sense that if he throw, he's only he's only effective if he throws really hard. Now, if he can go down to the minors like you were saying and actually get the development that he needs, then yeah, I'm all for it. Like I'm I'm for him being in the AAA rotation. And if you give me the choice, I'll take the AAA rotation over the bullpen right now for him, just because I think down there he'll have a chance to develop the one thing he truly needs, and that's command. You increase his command by a tick. And he's capable of being a major league starter. You increase it by a couple ticks or you increase his command a little bit and you make his fastball a little better in some way or one of his secondaries a little better in, a, in, in some way. Then he's you know a major league starter. And so there's the opportunity there to level him up, I think, in the, in the minor league ranks that there isn't in the major league ranks, even if he's pitching in the bullpen or maybe especially if he's pitching in the bullpen. Because he's going to shelf a pitch probably if he goes to the bullpen. He's going to rely on throwing super hard. And maybe what he needs to be doing now is, is more development and more learning. So I say leave him out of the major league rotation. But yeah, I'm down for your plan to send him down to AAA. And the other great thing that can happen when you send a guy down like that, the pressure comes off. Sometimes he'll come up with a gym. Sometimes you do that and be, it takes time. You got to let him do it for a whole year. But sometimes he comes out, now he's throwing a cutter or, you know, something that he can then lean on that becomes his best thing. And I don't know that Carlos, I think Carlos Hernandez thinks his fastball is, is his best thing. And that ain't right. <laughs> and, you know, so and I know the Royals probably believe that that's not the case either. So, yeah, put him down there, man, and let him let him not only figure it out, but get the help from those people down there developing pitching. And see what happens because right now I feel like he can, at any point he can go into the bullpen and be a, a somewhat of an asset. We don't have to do it now. We certainly don't have to do it now. Another thing that we don't have to do right now that felt like a little bit of a forced decision was moving Bobby Wood Jr. up into the leadoff spot and then moving him back down again and moving him around. He started the year in the two spot, then he went down. Now then he went up. Now he's going back down. Mike, what do you think of the decision to keep moving Bobby Wood Jr. up and down in the order? Love it or leave it? I'm leaving that thing. Let him get comfortable in one spot against major league pitching. Would you just let him get comfortable in the seven hole or wherever you have him five, whatever it is, leave him there. Let him don't give him the added pressure of being in the leadoff spot. Yes. But, and and I can understand there may be this idea of, well, if you move him to the leadoff spot, it makes him take a leadoff hitter approach. Well, not really, because he's going to be the hitter that he is. Let him go down and then try and teach him a better approach in the seven hole or the five hole or wherever you've got him, I don't like the idea of moving him up, leave him down there at the bottom. And also the added benefit is now you have a guy in the bottom of the lineup who can hit one out or who can get on base and steal you a base or who has the potential to hit a triple because he's fast as greased Al crap, or I don't know, whatever folksy thing you want me to say there, but <laughs> you know, he he's juice at the bottom of your lineup. If you allow him to stay down there and work, on getting comfortable with major league pitching. Yeah. And this is one thing that I don't understand why the Royals and other, other organizations, really the Royals that I focus on most don't emphasize is that it doesn't matter if he's in the leadoff spot or the seventh spot or wherever he is, he should have the same approach everywhere. 
This is one thing that you learn from Mike Trout when you talk to him about hitting or when you listen to interviews that he where he's talking about hitting. He takes the same approach no matter if someone's on base. If no one's on base, it doesn't matter. He always takes the same approach, and you always should. Don't try and do something different just because somebody's on base or just because nobody's on base. It doesn't matter. You should be working counts the exact same way whether you're leading off or not. And if they taught him that, if they taught him to have a good seven-hitter approach, which it should be the same as the same two-hitter approach, one-hitter approach, nine-hitter approach, doesn't matter. Don't swing at balls. Swing at premium strikes. That's all. That's your whole approach. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. I mean, it does because counts change things and things like that. But right now, the Royals aren't good at the basics of just not swinging at balls and swinging at strikes, especially if they're heart, in the heart of the plate. So we need to focus in on that. And it seems like he's getting better at that. And he's thriving now that he's sort of comfortable down at the bottom of the order. I'm fine if they leave him there the whole year or half year or all year. Just keep him there. This It doesn't really matter at this point. What does matter is who you're playing in the lineup every day. Who's getting to get in there and get some at-bats and get development? Guys like, I don't know, maybe Kyle Isbell. Mike, what do you think of the decision to play Kyle Isbell so sparingly? Who the fuck is Kyle Isbell? Guy, never. I haven't seen him in so long. I don't even know who the hell he is anymore. <laughs> Kyle never Isbell. heard of that guy. Never heard of him. Steve Isbell's cousin? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm leaving it. I'm leaving that idea. Let the, it, it's what we've talked about before. Why is he up here if he's not playing? We've got guys we can throw in to pinch run and and do what you know, pinch hit late in games or whatever. We don't need Kyle Isbell here to do that. He has potential as a young hitter. Put him in the minors, let him hit when you're ready to bring him up and play him on a consistent basis. Then bring him up. You should never bring a guy up just to sit him on a bench. Unless, unless you're going, okay, the cap for this person is as a fourth outfielder, he's reached it. He'll never be any better. That isn't Kyle Isbell. It, that's not what he's shown anyway. He hasn't had enough of an opportunity at the major league level for them to go, oh, he can never be more than a fourth outfielder. Just send him back down and let him hit. Or I have an alternative idea. Play him. Play him. <laughs> there's, there's a good one. That'd be fantastic. How about that? Yeah. You've started Ryan O'Hearn as your cleanup hitter in two of the three games in Colorado. Tell me that Kyle Isbell can't be in this lineup. Ryan O'Hearn gets regular playing time in this lineup. If Ryan O'Hearn gets regular playing time in this lineup, Kyle Isbell can get regular playing time in this lineup. And by that, I mean, give him Ryan O'Hearn's playing time. <laughs> That's all you got to do. It's not that hard. Okay. Play him in right field consistently. When you need to play somebody like Hunter Dozier, or Whit Merrifield, or whoever there, then let him fill in for Benintendi or let him fill in for Michael A. Taylor. You have a natural platoon split. With Michael A. Taylor there, Taylor hits lefties well. Kyle Isbell hits righties well. Platoon them frequently. It's not that hard. This is not rocket science. He should be getting at-bats four or five times a day or a week minimum. Four or five times a week minimum, he should be in the lineup. And here's what I want to wonder, or here's what I'm thinking about with that. If you're Dayton Moore or J.J. Piccolo and you're seeing those decisions being made, how is there not a conversation like there might be, we just wouldn't hear about Mike. Mathi- I know, but I want to hear it. I want to be there for that conversation of what the hell are you doing? Why hasn't Kyle Isbell played in a week? It like, makes me wonder if, see, in my mind, all GMs, this is why I think managers shouldn't really matter that much, except for like in-game decision-making with the bullpen or something. The GM should be dictating that Kyle Isbell should be playing a certain number of times a week. That should be happening. 
if if JJ Piccolo and Dayton Moore aren't telling Mike Matheny, Kyle Isbell needs to be starting four to five times a week, then that's malpractice on them on their part as a as the leaders of of this team, as the people who are who are in charge of developing this roster. They have now they, that is a failure on their part because you're right, he has potential as a hitter. Everyone recognizes it. Everybody who pays attention to this team recognizes his potential as a hitter. What are they doing with it? They have now spent a month and a week squandering his potential, harming his development. And I just, I cannot understand any rationale where that makes sense. Any, it doesn't make any sense at all. And the thing that's crazy is the Royals already did this to him. They brought him up at the beginning of the year and sat him there to do nothing for two weeks. Then they send him back down to AAA and call him up to do it again. It's like a repeated cycle of abuse. Well, what's weird is we saw this with Olivares last year, and this year he's like their best player. It's like, what are you doing? Do you, do you expect to do this all year to Isbell, and maybe next year he'll be our best player then? I don't get it. I don't luckily, get it. Luckily, they could only send him down five times, but what they'll probably do is send him down that fifth time and just keep him there. Yeah, we'll never hear from him again. It'll be like, <laughs> yeah. bye-bye, bye-bye, Kyle. What was his name? I can't remember. Yeah, Kyle Molson? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. And it's not like everybody in this lineup is crushing it or something like that. It's not like there are guys who don't deserve maybe some bench time. And I'm talking a little bit about Nicky Lopez here. I know we all love him. He's the hardworking, scrappy kid from the blah, 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 whatever, right? Chicago. But He's from just out of Nicky Chicago. Lopez. Yes, I know. Uh, from the su- <laughs> hardworking, scrappy kid from the suburbs of Chicago. Um, yeah. I know he's everybody's favorite story because he's seemingly a not great athlete who is a good baseball player. Uh, but we need to talk about the decision to play him every day because he's been bad, right? He's not been good this year. Mike, what do you think about the decision to keep Nicky Lopez in the everyday lineup? Is that something that, I mean, currently they're making the decision to have him in the lineup every day. What do you think of that decision? I love it still. He's better than he's played this week and probably not as good as he played last year. And I think he's somewhere in the middle there. If he's an average defender, I don't love it, but he's an above average defender in a middle infield position. And that is worth something. He's, he's kind of the, I don't know. I guess I'm going to say this kind of about him. And I said it about Carlos Fernandez earlier. If you're a good team, you find a way to have a Nicky Lopez in your lineup so that he adds value to your lineup. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, knowing that, if you're going to develop him at all, you've got to develop Nicky Lopez so that he gets on base more. He gets on base more. We're not even having this conversation. We're going, okay, yeah, he's struggling for the last couple of weeks, but he took four walks, and so he's getting on base enough and playing really high-level defense. But because he doesn't do that, it's on the Royals to help push him to that. And we know how great they are at developing at the major league <laughs> level. We just talked about that. So he'll probably be walking any day now. Uh, yeah, I actually still love it um, for now. I love it for now. I just The problem I always have with the Royals is that when they fall in love with a player, that's it. Like nothing else, no, no more evidence from that player matters. They fell in love with Ryan O'Hearn in 2018. He's had another chance for four years. They fell in love with, you know, name a player. Carlos Santana, after half a season last year, he gets to keep playing. Like, they fall in love with guys, and they never, ever break from them, even if evidence suggests they should. Here's a, weird, here's a weird thing, though, and I'm blanking on his name now. The kid who's pitching in, in, for the Giants now. Jake Junis. Jake Junis. They fell in love with him and kept trying and kept trying and kept trying poorly. And finally break up with him and he goes and 
<laughs> is having a great and year. Somebody and somebody actually develops him at the major league level. Exactly. Somebody actually does it. Right? <laughs> um, but anyway, I digress. Anyway, thanks for interrupting me. Um, Sorry. Back to Nicky Lopez. Uh, yeah, I'm just a little bit worried that maybe they'll fall so in love with him, they won't realize that he's a good bench player, not an everyday player. And I, I don't know what he is. To be honest with you, I don't think any, anybody who says that they know Nicky Lopez's ex, they're lying because the evidence is all over the place at this point. We've had two seasons, partial seasons, of very bad baseball from him and one amazing season from him. And so it's hard to know what the real Nicky Lopez is. And now we've had, what, five, six weeks of pretty bad offensive play from him. And so it's, it's hard to know if he's an everyday regular or a, ben, a really good bench player. You, you have a sense that, yes, he can be a major league contributor somewhere. But you're right. Some, some teams would be able to have him in the lineup, and that would be okay because he's going to be a great defender at short and because they, don't, they have a mashers in the one through eight spots, and he's going to hit nine. The Royals aren't necessarily that. They kind of need him to contribute offensively too. And you're right. He's not d- taking walks. The, the, if he were to go to the A's tomorrow, if he gets traded to Oakland, I think he's going to be a great player because they're going to mm-hmm. teach him how to walk. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that's like, I love it for now having him in the everyday lineup. And also because they don't have a ton of options right now. But when we look to the future, do we think he's going to be able to, do we think if guys like Michael Massey lives up to his potential, do we think he should be playing above that guy? Uh, we'll see. You know, the, there's going to be a lot of questions to ask about Nicky Lopez moving forward. He has a chance to show us he should be an everyday player, but he's got to back up the season he had last year with something better than what he's doing right now. It's going to be a super busy week for the Royals this week. They play eight games in seven days. Five at home against the White Sox. One of those is a makeup game. It's a doubleheader that they have on Tuesday. And another three games at home against the Twins. So it'll be a, a week at home if you want to get out and see the Royals anytime this week. I'm going to the game on Wednesday, which is going to be fun. My Did you get one of those value tickets where you get like 15 bucks? I was going to, but I think they started that promotion after I'd already bought tickets. Oh, so man. now I'm bummed. Now I'm pissed at myself. I saw them today. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want one of those. You, you paid $17 for a ticket. You get $15 worth of like concessions credit or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I was going to spend anyway. And that's like, I got a ticket for two bucks, you know? Um, So yeah, if you're, if you're interested, they do have promotional They're They're uh, clearly they're struggling to get people to buy tickets because they are (laughs) making them dirt cheap right now. Yeah. And that was the expensive version. The one I just said, that was the expensive one. (laughs) Yeah. They got one that's like eight bucks. You get the ticket for $1 and you get like $8 worth of uh, food credit or whatever. So I guess it's nine bucks. uh, Yeah. Like that. Anyway, yeah, we're just hyping. We, we could be your PR people, Royals. We're hyping all your yeah. stuff over here. Uh, Mike, tell us about the White Sox. They're coming to town tomorrow. Uh, they are 16 and 17, tied for second in the AL Central. They haven't announced any probables, probable starters for this upcoming series. We may get to avoid Michael Kopech, who is just dominating right now. Dominated us the last time we played him because uh, he pitched today. So we will probably see Dylan Cease, who in his last outing was phenomenal. And also he's, dominated he's, us. Yes, also dominated us. The <laughs> There's last a thing theme, and that's yeah. that pitchers dominate the Royals. <laughs> I mean, but don't you like Dylan Cease? I love the way Dylan Cease I love Cease the way he pitches. pitches. Uh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. I wish he played for the Royals. Yeah, me too. Uh, Brad Keller's likely to go on Monday for us. Game one of the doubleheader, I'm really interested to see on Tuesday because John Heasley is going to go. And I want to see how he does the second time through against what is a lineup that is getting healthy again. So it's a it's a good lineup. Uh, for them, even though they're still suffering from some injuries. looks like uh, Zach Granke will go 
uh, the next day. We don't have a probable for the game two on Tuesday yet. Uh, the White Sox were decimated by injuries. We talked about this the last time we played them. Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Eloy Jimenez. They did just get back Yoan Mancado, who I re- or Mancada, who I really like, great third baseman. And Luis Robert is also back as well, athletic outfielder for them. Andrew Vaughn has been their offensive force, and they still have that guy at first base who can always hit. But Andrew Vaughn is quite interesting to me because he's been hitting really, really well this year. But there are still some people in Chicago who are – disappointed that he hasn't hit more home runs because in college him coming out was he's a masher. He hits the ball out of the park. He hasn't really become that, but he's got like a 900 OPS. He's really um, doing a lot of other things. So yeah, we'll see. His manager is still occasionally not playing him because he doesn't feel very well. Oh yeah. LaRusso, what are you doing? (laughs) He doesn't feel well. I'm going to sit our best hitter because he's not a great left fielder. Yeah. Um, he, anyway. Right now he is their best hitter, but that guy at first base, I'm blanking on his yeah, name now. Jose Abreu. Thank you. He's a, you know, he's a monster. So yeah. After the White Sox come to town, five games against them. That's going to be five fun games. Oh, how I know this is unlikely, but how would you feel if we took all five from the White Sox? Oh my, I would. That's never. <laughs> it's not. It's not going to happen. But I'd roll around on the ground if we took all five from the White Sox. Mike's going to shave his head if we take all five from the White Sox. I'm not shaving my head. I do need a haircut next weekend. But um, no, I, I I don't even know. I'm too old to do anything. But yeah, all right. it'll be, it'll be a while. Mike's going to Mike's going to drink a glass of whiskey. <laughs> the, the Royals went all five. Guaranteed. <laughs> Uh, after the White Sox, the, the AL Central leading Twins will come to town. The Twins playing really well this year. They're 20 and 15. They've gotten a relatively healthy year from Byron Buxton. That's helping a lot. I say relatively healthy because I think he went on this IL for like a week or so, 10 days uh, with an injury, but he's been back. He's got quite a few plate appearances. He has a 1.025 OPS. My Lord, that man can play baseball. Um, and so we're going to get to see him hopefully, or maybe not. Who knows? You know, you never know with him. A guy that, another guy who's hitting pretty well for them, Trevor Larnark, one of their young, good hitters, is having a solid year. But he's on the 10-day IL right now with a right groin strain. He's eligible to come off on the 18th, so we may see him, but we'll see if he's ready at that point. We know that those strained muscles can sometimes linger and take a little bit longer, so we'll see. Uh, the rotation has been uh, good for the Twins so far, but they're also bitten by the injury bug right now. They had a couple of COVID illnesses recently. And then Bailey Ober, one of their young, good prospects who's a pitcher, he's currently on a rehab assignment with a groin injury. Groin's going down like crazy in Minnesota, you know. Um, Chris Paddock, who they acquired in the office. Somebody's attacking their groins. <laughs> it was all groin stuff. It's all groin stuff. It's like a Casino Royale. Oh, no. Uh, Chris Paddock, who they acquired from San Diego this offseason, he actually is on the 60-day IL, but it's not groin-related. Thank God. Are we sure? <laughs> Are we sure it's not groin-related? Uh, no, his is an elbow issue. It's not clear if he's going to need surgery yet, but, yes, he's, he is going to be on the, uh, on the shelf for quite a while. But their rotation does have Joe Ryan, and that's what they're really leaning on. Joe Ryan is a young prospect for them who has had a phenomenal year. He is a right-hander with an incredible fastball-slider combo. So let's hope the Royals avoid him in that three-game series. No kidding, yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to do much against him. Let's yeah. hope uh, they just miss out on, on getting maybe Maybe he tweaks his groin coming out of the dugout or something. <laughs> I don't hope for that. I hope he's just you know uh, not pitching this week and his groin is fine. <laughs> 
We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode. Mike, how do we end every episode? Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. We So we end it with our just a bit outside <laughs> segment, where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, tell us about your life outside the world of baseball. Uh, I, I sent you actually an email with this interest that I've been taking and that's in like golf. I, you know, I've, I've had an interest in golf forever. You and I both have, and we play golf probably more than the average person does. But I had this thought like, you know, it would be really cool if someday in my life I had enough money to buy land and build my own backyard golf course. Now, not like an elaborate one. I'm not talking a nine hole golf course or anything like that. And so I started looking into like, what does it take to maintain a golf course? Right. I found out a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. And so then I was like, well, what if you could cut out some of those things to where maybe I just have one green instead of several and I have one fairway and I create kind of three holes from that. And so, you know, I, I sometimes don't use my time as wisely as I should when I'm working. And so I went on the internet and started looking up plots of land and I was like, Oh, and so I started drawing out this backyard golf course would be really cool. And so, yeah, I'm, I've, become a, a semi, you know, amateur expert, if that's a thing on golf grass right now. I know a lot about golf grass, the grass that they grow on golf courses and how to maintain it and all that stuff. So if you ever like, you know, need that, just let me know. But looking into that, I was like, man, this seems like a really good idea. So someday if I ever fall ass backwards into a whole lot of money, let's make a backyard golf course in my backyard. Okay, that sounds like fun. I sent you a response yeah. to that email you sent me. Uh, you never sent me one back. I was asking how much that plot I haven't going seen it. For. All right, we'll see. I think that one was like four hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Weekly so. weirdos. We need to borrow four hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, and, D- and uh, DM you know, me with with. I'll, I'll let you know my Venmo. You can Venmo. And the and the word borrow is of course very loose there because we have no way or is, intention is of a, paying that back. Is a synonym okay. for a gift. Because we don't yes. have we don't have any money that we can't pay you back. Um, yeah, but you know so, you can maybe occasionally come play at this golf course with us if you're not a weirdo. Yeah, or like, I mean, a, like a like a one yeah. I mean like an actual one day a week, weirdo, not like a weekly weirdo. Yeah, yeah. you know one what we'll do? Week, we'll do we'll do like they do on Caddyshack when it's like the the pool is open to caddies for like <laughs> thirty minutes or something. Yeah, and yeah. they'll just rush and destroy it. Yeah, yeah. You, for thirty minutes, you can come play on my backyard golf course, weekly weirdos, um, and that'll be my thank you for the gift of, of the money to buy the land. Uh, I'm going to talk about a positive thing. I had two, two options to go for him. I was either going to talk about this negative thing, which is an experience I had in a meeting this week, which was, I wish there could have been a camera there kind of, because I really want people to see what took place at this meeting, but I decided to go the other direction and go positive because the Royals won today because it was really high note. I was glad about that. And I'm going to talk about a barbecue place in Kansas city here. I ate at today, literally like two or three hours ago. It's called BB's Lawnside Barbecue. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. It's very, it's probably very popular. And I just don't realize it. Um, but I had, I had it for the first time today, and it's immediately going into my top two or three. I got to imagine. It was incredible, really, really good. I got a burn-in sandwich. The burn-ins were amazing. And let me tell you my criteria. I sort of start by by sort of evaluating the meat. The meat itself is important to me, really important. I know a lot of people are like. I care about the sauce a lot. I care about this or that. I care a ton about like how well the meat is cooked. For me, I've eaten a lot of barbecue across all across the country. And I'd say a good 60% of the barbecue I've eaten gets immediately disqualified 
because the meat is not well cooked. And so I'm like, the meat was perfectly cooked here. The burn ends were incredible. They had a really good barbecue sauce on them. I don't know. I didn't ask like what it was called or what kind it was, but they had a really good barbecue sauce on it. Too. It was so good. I got a burn sandwich. They, they make these awesome fries that were just, they're, they're called fries, but they're kind of more like potato wedges or potato chunks. I don't know exactly, but they were really good. The, I had some sausage. They do Italian sausage. Oh, it was incredible as well. I just, everything I ate was good, good brisket, pulled pork. It was so good. And so, yeah, I highly recommend. It was a cool vibe in there too. They had live music going. They have live music going there a lot. Yeah. It seemed like a really cool vibe. And so like, did you see at all? And I assume you didn't have one because it's not really your thing, but did you see the barbecue Sunday thing that they do in the main? I did. I saw yeah. Have you so been there? Have you been I have, I've only been there once and it was with our older, our oldest brother, Byron. Uh, we went to see some music and, and that's kind of what BBs is known for. I'm, I'm really surprised they don't, when we, when you hear people have the debates and talk about what's the greatest barbecue place in Kansas city, it's Joe's, it's Gates, it's Arthur Bryant's, it's Q39. Nobody hardly ever mentions BBs. And part of that, I think, is because BB's isn't in like the most uh, yeah happening location. There's, it's there's not, not much around there. You it's kind of under an overpass. It's kind of yeah. like <laughs> under a highway. Like, yeah. And so, you know, but it, it, the food is incredible. I mean, incredible. And they do outside concerts there, too, I know. And sure. I've always wanted to stop and, and go to one of those. But yeah, it's a solid, it's definitely solid barbecue. From what I remember, this was a while ago and I don't really remember what I had, but I don't remember being disappointed with the food. I was very I, happy with the, the food. And the barbecue Sunday stuck in my mind. I was like, holy crap. Like I didn't yeah. get it, but I was like, next time I'm here, that, that's going to be barbecue the Sunday. If I remember from the menu, I read it. It's basically just a Mason jar filled with different kinds of barbecue meat. That's all yeah. it really is. Mm-hmm. I can so, get like coleslaw oh, and stuff. But you also get like what they call pit beans in there mm-hmm. as well. They're really good. Like probably the second best beans I've ever had anywhere um, were from this place. And that's saying something because number one is way high on my list. Um, but anyway, incredible barbecue. Give it a give it a shot if you haven't. I they have an outdoor patio which we ate on today. It was like eighty degrees out on the patio eating barbecue. Kind of a very picturesque Sunday. And so great to eat at BB's Lawnside Barbecue. Thank you, BB's, for giving me a wonderful meal. They aren't sponsoring the show or anything, so they're just getting some free <laughs> advertising from me. Uh, what I hope to see this week, eight wins from the Royals. Is that the, Royal, the Royals beat the White Sox five times? Royals beat the White Sox five times and then the Twins three times. Let's see a nice little nine-game winning streak out of them. How oh, does that sound? That sounds that so sound? out of the realm of possibility. Hey, you never know. You, you never know. know. You never Who do they know. they got going? They got Keller, they got Granky, and they got Heasley going in this in this next White Sox series. Does that sound terrible to you? It sounds like probably our best chance at doing well. Yeah. But. yeah. What the hell? Let's, let's see. It happen. It, why not us? That's what I said. Why, why not us? Why not us? <laughs> why not us? Until that happens, until the Royals get eight wins this week, be good to each other. And go Royals. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.